Hi guys, and welcome to part three of the Susan Cox Powell series on Gimme the Creeps. I'm the co-host, Abby, and that's my co-host. We're introducing ourselves this time? I guess. I know it's different every time. We don't, I don't really stick to a formula. Yeah, um, I wonder if anyone even remembers our fucking names. (laughs) Do you say our names every time? You don't, do you? I try to most of the time. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe I just don't pay attention to that. I do sometimes, but yeah, most of the time we just go with the flow. <clears throat> go with the flow. Okay. Well, um, I'm Daniela, which I'm sure you already know. <laughs> Hopefully. But if you're new here and you haven't heard our other two parts on the Susan Cox Powell story, you might want to go back and listen to those. Today, I'm going to discuss the several problems that Susan faced in her marriage and what led up to, I don't know if it was desperation or what, but there's a breaking point and a whole lot of plot twists on their way. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump back into it. So Charlie and Brayden are still pretty small when Susan began seriously telling Josh that she wanted to leave. She would tell him to consider things like the cost of divorce and things like that and pretty much try to get him to put more effort into their marriage and parenting their sons. And you know what his response was? The boys are mine and that won't change if you leave. So she feared that he would keep her sons from her if she left, not to mention the cost of divorce. And to me, it's like, that's a scary sign in itself because why keep someone's kids from them? Okay, fine. Like if they aren't a fit parent, that's where that's like valid, but this is out of spite and it seems like it's a hurtful threat. Why would someone want to like punish their partner like that? So she stays and endures her horrible marriage because she loves Charlie and Brayden and knows how Josh's parents' divorce affected Josh. But yeah, so I don't think she knows the extent of the issues that were planted in Josh during that whole time. So I'm not sure if she took that into account. Mm Mm-hmm. So she just kept trying and she tried not to crawl out of her skin during lame attempts at dates that Josh would make. And we're going to talk about those later on. The arguments are getting old and Susan is really upset that Josh won't try harder. And the marriage uh, is at its worst in 2008. But little does Susan know that her time is running out to get out of this marriage. That's not to say she hasn't started taking steps to get out, though. So this is the most heartbreaking part, uh, in my opinion. As Dave Colley properly titled his third episode... Um, because it came, it all came down to quote unquote faith and finances. So Josh was doing a web development job part-time for a trucking company. And on his free time, he ran a, um, I guess some kind of marketing company online where he would build websites and it was called Polished Marketing LLC. He did the website for his brother Michael's campaign whenever he was running for office. It was a seat on the Washington legislature to be legislator oh my gosh washington legislature to be specific which he made it through the primaries before losing in the general election so that was pretty interesting that his brother was like involved in government almost uh the other thing that he did was the other thing that josh did was a community cinco de mayo event and so that website uh got put up for or some kind of like announcement got put up through him so he only did two projects essentially through his little business uh Josh was having Susan's paychecks put into an account that he controlled but she began to take some and put it in a personal account that she made in secret these funds were for tithing which is a Mormon church related payment thing that they do i should actually look that up so that it doesn't sound so disrespectful when i say it that way let me see Because I was interested in finding out. So yeah, the practice of taking or paying a tithe, uh, it's a, I'm not really sure what it does. It's like a term before. I feel like, um, what the fuck is it called? Um, like whenever you join a club, you have to pay. Ah, like a membership fee. Okay, that's a good that's a good idea, or that's a that's a good definition. So, a tithe is a one tenth part of something paid as a contribution to a religious organization or compulsory compulsory tax to government. So, yeah, you're right. It's kind of like a, a membership fee where they use it towards mm-hmm. their church. She's 
using the funds for tithing payments, paying her parents back, and food for the boys whenever Josh wasn't really providing the funds to properly feed everybody, which that becomes a big issue that her parents notice, but why the heck they don't intervene, I have no idea. So they argued over him not parenting the boys and helping with housework, but also she was irritated that he was not involved in the church and he was constantly mocking her for her involvement, as we mentioned last time. Susan complained to her friends often and on Facebook about how he was mostly financially, verbally, and emotionally abusive. Josh was a very spiteful person and would verbally abuse her and dictated how to use her money and where it would be spent, and he would criticize her constantly withholding affection almost as a punishment. They began to fight in public and at gatherings. Once it escalated to the point where Susan slapped him, and he said that that was the only time that he would use his restraint. Mm. She felt rage from being unheard constantly, and she was a victim, but she wouldn't stand for just being a victim. She stood her ground and never blamed herself, and that's something that I think is kind of rare that we don't really hear about whenever it comes to abuse. Um eventually the abuser will break down their victim. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it seems like it's almost making her more determined to fix their relationship or get out either, either one. She's not thinking of, of it as agreeing with him or believing what he's saying. So she stayed rational when it came to who was to blame for their marriage problems. It was obvious to everyone. I'm sure that she was not only the provider and homemaker, but that she was the more present parent as well. Mm -hmm. And Catherine and Susan used the same tactic when fights got really bad, which was going into the closet and ignoring Josh. So that was their only escape when they had to walk away from arguments. Susan mentioned that Josh believed in hitting a woman back if she hits him. So she always kept that in the back of her mind. It kind of made her a little bit scared. Susan was given a second cell phone by her parents, Judy and Chuck Cox, because they knew that she was being abused and she wasn't eating and they could tell that she was uh, just being drained from this relationship. And they constantly told her, like, use this phone if you ever need us and we will be right here to get you and the boys. That is so sad. Being her parents, like, oh my God, that's really sad. I know. I, I can't. If she ever really considered doing that, like if there were ever times when she picked up the phone and then just reconsidered the whole thing, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. So the extent of his financial control was to the point of her not eating in order to feed the kids. So if there wasn't enough, she would just let them eat and she wouldn't eat. Oh my God. (sighs) He would pinch pennies and, uh, make them buy bargain stuff and it was like a lot of canned foods and stuff and I think this is it's either this at this point when he had like some kind of survivalist like mentality or something or it it was also the contribution of this where he wasn't buying them enough food but Susan started a garden so that they had more um, food security so that's that's good the parents did what they could and she told friends and go ahead what is it I'm just she had to fucking Mm-hmm. have a garden just to be able to have something and that's so fucking sad it's very sad um and i'm not sure if her friends knew that also because i would be like okay well come over for dinner you know whatever if you need something i'll make you an extra casserole or things like that because i feel like she told her friends a lot of stuff but i don't know if she told them that it was to this extent mm-hmm. um so that her parents did what they could and she told friends and coworkers that she was headed for divorce. And I'm hoping that she told her parents that she was trying to get out of the marriage, but I'm not sure she did because I'm sure they would have rushed her along if she had. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't know. He refused to do counseling after going twice. He just did not take constructive criticism well and did not like participating in the little assignments that there's usually give couples. She found a lawyer to give her advice and friends offered to take her in while she got out of this marriage. But she said that she, that he would find her and take the kids to live with Steve. So that was her worst fear. And she even said that he might have had her killed if she left. Um, He oftentimes mentioned leaving the country because I don't know why, but he would mention that. So she was worried about him taking the kids and doing that. But I don't see how, 
realistically, I understand her fears, but realistically he had no money and I doubt any lawyer would side with him for anything. But whenever you're threatened with something like that, it's just the fear that holds you back from leaving. So he had filed for bankruptcy in 2007 after he maxed out her credit cards. And I think he used, I don't know how this works, but like he used the court to like pay off the debt and then he maxed everything out again. So he pretty much just got a bunch of free tools and gadgets and toys and then they were bankrupt bankrupt again. Uh, and he financed a new car for her, getting rid of the other car so that they just had one vehicle to save on gas. And he was very tight on her using the car because of gas reasons was his excuse. It was also just in his name. And so it was like very, a con- it was a very much a control strategy. And Kiersey, her friend, mentioned looking back at it now that it was another way to control where she went. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because she was trying to save on gas, Susan rode her bike to and from work, which was a 15-mile round trip. Oh, my God. Are, uh, does this not just, like, grind your gears to the point? Uh, I just can't. And She put up long- <laughs> with so much shit. Like, I just can't yeah. wrap my head around, like, how the fuck do you just justify all that shit by – <sighs> By little things like, I don't know, I don't know, like mm-hmm. divorce costs too much. Like, really? Mm-hmm. I don't think that he would have been able to get the kids, like, if they were to divorce and he was like, well, I'm keeping them their mind, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, you can say that all you want, but a judge is going to be the one to tell mm-hmm. you if you can keep them or not. So, fuck off. Exactly. Exactly. Um Ah, man. So she's, you know, taking her bike to work and there's long stretches of like basically highway where there wasn't a bike lane or a sidewalk. So she was riding next to semi trucks as they freaking blow past her. And uh, she this makes her nervous. And I'll and I'll say why in a second. But he bumped up her life insurance policy to a million dollars in March of 2008. And it used to be half a million dollars in June of 2007 with the New York Life. But he bumps it up. And then he also added a quarter million for the boys and a million for himself. She said she feared for her life and that she felt like an asset that he controlled. She got paranoid about riding her bike because it would be easy to stage an accident. <laughs> it's to that point. I, I oh can't. Oh, my gosh. Um, so they're both working at this point and daycare becomes essential for them. Uh, Charlie and Braden, I believe, are like three and five or something. They're two years apart. Uh, Debbie Caldwell is their caretaker. Basically she runs a, an, a daycare from her home. And Susan tells Debbie straight up that she's looking into getting a divorce and she has a lawyer and she's willing to change her schedule to be able to come get the boys um, with all this that's going on right now. But Debbie's like, do not worry. You have a slot from, I believe 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So they can stay um, during that slot. It's what you pay for. Don't worry about it. So she was like, okay. And so then she begins, Susan begins making a paper trail. In June 2008, she documented on lined paper her turmoil in her marriage and mentioned that if something happened to her to check her work desk and to talk to the people who knew her. She wrote out a will and testament and wrote to her sons about how much she loved them. Uh, She wrote how if something happens to her, even if it looks like an accident, it wasn't. Uh, and to pretty much talk to her sister-in-law and look into her husband, Josh. Um, she mm-hmm. dated and put her signature at the bottom, addressing it to her family and friends, writing out clearly, Josh Powell cannot is not allowed to have this. He does not have permission to read this. Do not let him have it. And she told as many people as she could during this time how her marriage was awful and her husband was controlling. So she was being very strategic with how she was handling this whole thing mm-hmm. just in case something happens. Mm-hmm. Josh called Susan a religious freak for singing in her church choir and paying the tithing. And he got onto her about paying more on food than they agreed on. He had her memorize the sales and stuff at the supermarket and just work with that. So it was just mm-hmm. very weird and controlling. And his sister made up a, made a good point because Jennifer Graves pointed out how Susan would have been willing to have a happy marriage with him. Like there was, it was never a threat that she didn't love him and that she was trying to take advantage of him. Like he just wanted to control someone and Mm -hmm. make it as horrible as possible for some reason. Um, But 
she was like a good wife. Like they could have had a really happy marriage. And I thought that was an interesting concept. Um, Then she made the video. She took a camcorder and documented their assets, throwing shade at Josh every now and then throughout, which rightfully so. And there was even a part where she mentioned that he broke something of hers out of anger when they were arguing. And she showed all of his toys and gadgets on the Happier side, she showed her garden where she grew watermelon, eggplants, okra, peppers, and other foods. Josh had gone through a survivalist thing, but I'm sure that uh, this was handy considering how little Josh was willing to spend on food for his family. The piece of shit. So mm-hmm. now I have a little segment. And uh, this is me. July 29th, 2008. It is 1233 Mountain Time. Um, covering all my bases, making sure that if something happens to me or my family or all of us, that our assets are documented. Hope everything works out and we're all happy and live happily ever after as much as that's possible. Charlie. So pretty much she knew what she was doing and she had a clear purpose for doing it and it's just uh, I just can't she had time to get out and she was doing her best to do so but with everything going on I I just it all just comes to a head later so that was the video part of the video and Dave Colley who did the long cold podcast um, pointed out how she never mentioned divorce in the video, which is true. She hadn't. She was just documenting all of their assets. And a week later, after the video was made, she got a safe deposit box down the street from her work um, at a Wells Fargo and explicitly made it clear that Josh, her husband, was not allowed to touch it. She put copies of all her and her boys' social security cards in there, birth certificates, receipts with bank account balances, and U.S. savings bonds. Um, just anything to come in handy that would come in handy should they go through with the divorce. Right. Like she was preparing. Exactly. Everything was ready to go. And that's mm-hmm. what's so hard to accept. Her birthday in October that year consisted of her working late and then coming home to a messy ass kitchen where the boys, all three of them, attempted to make a cake but left it unfrosted. Toys were strewn about as usual and Josh was watching SNL on his laptop and he suggested she finish frosting her cake. Okay. She had gotten a better birthday at work where she got a $25 gift card for something and she gave it to Brayden to give to Josh um, and he was excited and then she cleaned the kitchen before going to bed. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and the gift, at least he got her a gift though and the gift was a bargain bin looking white erase board that the plastic was like dingy from sitting at, like on the shelf for a long time. What the f- Yeah, so she hung it on the fridge. All of this, though, Susan still wanted a baby. She wanted a girl, and she remembered the frosting was pink, so she was like, is this hinting that you want a girl? Or something along those lines, like, is this for whenever we have a girl? And Josh was just like, pretty much no. She wanted her marriage to get better, and she spent a whole day in November praying at the temple so that she could get some kind of guidance. Uh, Josh was no longer able to even enter the temple. So Susan would go alone. And on two occasions, she met two single men by chance and felt like it was a sign from God that there were other righteous men out there for her. So God and everyone around her was ready for her to be away from Josh, but she felt that it was her duty to guide Josh back to the light. So this is once again, the time where her faith kind of holds her to her marriage. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's not to say like to blame Mormonism or whatever, but she just really held on to the hope of it getting better. So she wondered if Josh was ever faithful or was it an all in, was it all an act whenever they first got married? Because her religion was always important to her and she stood up for it every time he questioned it. She said she won't worship how he wants her to and she can't take bits and pieces of the religion just for him to accept her. 
she typed this message out and printed it for Josh, and they had a two-hour-long fight that evening. Josh said he might go to church, but he didn't want to pay tithing. <laughs> in early 2009, Josh said to make sure the boys were covered in case something happened, so they signed a revocable trust on February 4th, 2009. Susan reached out to her friend Kirsty to go get the boys from Debbie's house, which is their daycare provider, because apparently it was taking so long due to Josh fighting with the lawyers on every detail. Mm-mm. He always seems to think he knows better, doesn't he? He's like, oh, no, yeah. actually. <clears throat> Ugh, I can't stand that. I can't either. Ugh. So if Susan died, this is what the trust pretty much said. Like, if Susan died, Josh would control the trust and could delete Chuck from it, which was her father that she put on there. And if they both died, her father and his brother, Michael, co-managed the trust. He gained full authority of the trust if she was gone, however, and power of attorney. So that would be granted. So to buy or sell investments, he could buy and sell investments in her name, in other words. So Debbie immediately questioned Susan about it because she mentioned that that's what they were doing. um, And that's why they were late picking up the boys. But she questioned Susan about it. It just looked bad. And Debbie told her, she was worth more dead than alive. And if she was put on life support, he could pull the plug. So just a bunch of things to put into the perspective and everyone noticed and would talk to her about it. But she, I guess, just had to get along, go along with it just so that he wouldn't throw a fit over something else in their marriage. Um, okay. So one time, um, one of her friends named Linda went over and Josh was sitting on the couch watching TV and he, he was watching the news and there was a murder or something. And he made a comment about how it would be easy to get away with murder by making sure the police didn't find a body. And there's other times when he's at like dinner parties with other couples and stuff. And he just suddenly brings up like things like mine shafts would be a good place to dump a body. And he's just very Mm -hmm. socially awkward Mm -hmm. and doesn't read the room and yeah, so just people don't like him in general. And I wonder if he can tell or if he just doesn't care. And he just probably doesn't give a shit. Probably. He's so confident. Like he just thinks he's the smartest know-it-all guy ever. Mm-hmm. Oh, two days after the trust was signed, they took a trip to Puyallup. And it was like a month-long trip where they went and saw Steve and family and stuff in Washington. And the family stayed in a hotel room when they got there with Steve So Susan spent the night in the minivan stating that she woke up every hour and had dreams that there were police and Josh's brother, Michael, outside of her van. Mm -mm. And that's weird to me because that just reminds me of like whenever they were searching the vehicle after she went missing. Oh, yeah. So it's almost like a premonition that she had. Um, Ooh. Mm-hmm. And so she got freaked out, and by 5.30 in the morning, she went She went inside. But ugh. Steve wrote that she slept in the van. The real reason she slept in the van was because she couldn't fight her overwhelming sexual attraction for him. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> this is dumbass. So he agreed to attend. Oh, okay. So at this point, Josh agrees to attend church meetings once a month and that she would miss a meeting once a month. So that was their little negotiation that they agreed on. And they also began being more affectionate, mostly in the bedroom. So she was happy about that because she was really wanting another baby. Uh, Even though everyone advised against it, she was just not hearing that. Her dreams of having a girl and possibly twins were her main hope. She told friends that things were getting better just so that they could probably shut up about it. Hmm. Which I guess they were getting better here and there, but it just wasn't consistent. Throughout 2009, she mentioned to her friends the times that she thought she might be pregnant. And she mentioned that he was against it until one day he said, okay, let's try. And people agree that this was his way of kind of stringing her along. Um, yeah. Just so that she could ha- she could keep that hope and not want to leave as much. Um, but Susan was never al- allowed to drive anymore. And it seemed that Josh would be getting the kids late from Debbie. And so Debbie just began taking the boys to Susan's work and picking pretty much taking all of them home in her own vehicle, just so they wouldn't have to wait around for Josh. And uh, yeah, it's like, I don't know what this guy's up to. So Josh got full time at his work and Susan wrote that she hoped he would have an affair. Uh, She needed something to motivate her to leave. Then, 
Then there was the how they spent $4,500 on a travel subscription for like a discount on travel and lodging and it was a scam and that was just money they didn't have anyway but they took it to the Better Business Bureau and didn't get anything out of it so that's just oh a total goodness. loss mm-hmm. which put a strain obviously on on their relationship and finances and here's the thing Susan was not backing down he was not breaking her she actually grew more confident and she began standing up for herself having him watch the kids while she went to the dollar theater with friends and like she would go out and do things she made sure to like stay present in her group and not withdraw like a lot of people oftentimes do Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to point that out. She was like really making it a point to keep in touch with her family, keep in touch with her friends. That way, if I mean, I'm assuming that way, if she ever went missing or anything ever happened, they would be like, that's not like her. She always calls us back or you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, which is just so creepy because in the it just means like in the back of her mind, she always had this feeling that something was going to happen. Um, whether she it was did. going well or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's what that's what it tells me. Yeah. So. Uh, she began buying Mary Kay products and froze their Capital One credit card so that he could stop uh, charging to it. And then she began to, and this is when she was already sending $50 to her parents and $25 to her team member account without him knowing. So she was trying to squirrel away money and also pay back her parents for the money that they lent them. The counsel that they received came with homework, which was date nights and filling out a questionnaire of sorts about themselves in the marriage. And this was all her doing because since he was so against marriage counseling at this point, still she would buy self-help books in like the bargain section and she would just have him, you know, go along with whatever was in that, but he would like barely do it. Um, on these dates, he did as little as possible to make her feel special as usual. And in May of 2009, one date in particular, was where he took her to a Mexican restaurant and I think he told her what to order pretty much because to save money. Then they parked at a graffiti area, according to Susan. I don't know how she feels like. Um, I mean, I don't mind graffiti, but I guess I'm just used to it. So she (laughs) thought it was like a, I guess, kind of a scary area. And she said that they watched the sunset near murky water on a muddy shore with bug guts on the windshield. And uh, since they had leftovers to put away, they were home by 9.30. Oh, my God. Um, She was using self-help books, like I said, for like pretty much DIY marriage counseling. And he was not participating how she wanted him to. He would rush them home um, just so that they didn't have to pay too much on babysitting Mm -hmm. to the babysitter. And in June, she thought that she might be pregnant, but she wasn't. And here's something interesting. She told coworkers that she was worried the boys would end up like Josh or worse, like Steve. Ooh. Um, oh, so she, she ooh. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bad fear there. Yep. Uh, she said that she would see Josh change whenever he was talking to his family. And his worst behavior would come out when he spoke to his dad. And it was always on speakerphone. And he said that he would swear and thrive on negativity. So they would both like hype each other up with like talking shit about Mormonism or just things like that. And Susan overheard Josh talking to Steve while Charlie and Brayden sat on his lap. And he was saying things like, mommy is evil and they didn't need to go to church because it was bad. What? Yeah. So she confronted him as soon as she removed the boys from the room and she then took them on a drive for an hour. So it could have looked like she was leaving and she was worried about him calling the cops saying that she was kidnapping their sons. But really, she just needed a breather. She just wanted to go for a drive. Uh, She was just scared of the consequences. So she came home after only an hour. Finally, that fall, they had free marriage counseling with the excuse that the paper trail would impact their credit rating. So that's why it was free. Uh, Josh didn't want it to affect their credit rating. And so they used the church and they got set up with a counselor who told them after a while uh, to take a month off of counseling, telling Josh to spend a month living his religion better and Susan to control her temper. What the fuck? Yeah, he, she gave them both advice, I guess, maybe to not make Josh feel too bad. I don't know. Holding them both accountable for whatever. Uh, so... This is when it's really amping up to the day of. So I hope I don't leave anything too uh, too bad too big out of the details. Finally, that fall, they had they're doing their marriage counseling, 
And uh, Susan gave him until, in her mind, she didn't tell him this, she gave him until their next anniversary to see if she should leave. And I believe that's of April. That's in April of the next year. So on November 25th, the night before Thanksgiving that year, Josh went to Lowe's alone. He held a paper ad in one hand and a torch from a welding supply store in the other. He told the salesman he wanted one that could cut through steel, and that's what he had. So that's what he got at the other place. But what he did, he came to Lowe's because he had questions, which is very annoying. Um, He got two links of hose a brass regulator and one tank of oxygen and one tank of acetylene he couldn't get the hoses on the tanks so he went to lowe's to ask for help they asked what he was intending on doing with all this and he just said just mess around and see what what it could do oh my god oh man so he took the torch back after thanksgiving i guess i don't know what he used it for or what but he got used He got used tanks and had them refilled since the other ones didn't fit. Um, And then he went on a nursery run prior to that. So before Thanksgiving, he went and got rolls of DeWitt brand tree wrap telling the people that he needed to mend a broken tree. And the salesperson said that it wouldn't work because the branch was already dead. So it wouldn't really help the tree. But he bought a 50-foot roll anyway. Mm-hmm. He he really liked hardware stores. And he had begun taking the boys to the little workshops that they host. And both home at both Home Depot and at Lowe's. But he was disruptive and weird and often late, so the other parents did not like him. And he also wouldn't really watch the boys, even whenever they ran with scissors or other equipment. Of course not. He didn't get He just let them run. run. Yeah. He just let them run amok. And Okay, but before all this even, which now it's making me think of he's putting all this stuff into action, his whole plan, because of this. But November 9th, so even before he was buying all that stuff... Uh, Susan had been nauseous from Friday to Monday, and she documented this in her journal. And so she really thought she was pregnant this time. She had several symptoms to point to that, except um, she was bleeding. She had some light bleeding that indicated maybe her period was trying to start, but she still felt like she was pregnant. And so she ate leftover pizza and snacked on nuts, then went for a blood test a few days later. She was disappointed at the negative results, but the doctor had left a message telling her to call back about the results. So confused, she called and said that she had already gotten the results and they suggested that she take another blood test. Hmm. She was still confused by what felt off with her lately and the call made this all more confusing. So what else could be making her sick? She didn't do any more blood tests though and her friend Amber suggested she get more blood tests done, not just for pregnancy, but for other things to see what's going on with her. So mm-hmm. um, she said, find out what's go- what's wrong. If you're not pregnant and you feel sick, something else is wrong. But Susan was in denial and wanted to be pregnant. She got her period soon after and the nausea went away. Um, she and the other symptoms, which were ligament stretching and milk letdown, uh, also stopped. So Everything just kind of went back to normal, and she didn't know what what had gone on at that point, but she was just in denial to, I guess, go find out what was really going on. No idea. Um, So that makes me think, like, what if he was trying to poison her? And and then when she noticed, yeah, like, she noticed something, and and so he just kind of stopped. I can't, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to mention it. Are you going to mention her friend going over the day before yeah. She goes missing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the pancakes? Yes, the pancakes. Uh, so, jo- okay, so things feel like they're going well, all, all because Josh had been going to church more than ever, three Sundays in a row, and he even kind of put effort into dressing up nice, so Susan was happy. And they had a little exchange that gave her, a like, she said that there was a glimmer in his eye, so he still loved her at one point when they exchanged I love yous, and they usually didn't. And so she's feeling like there's a there's a promising future for them. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, guys, here's where it all really starts. The mysterious disappearance of Susan. So the evening of December 6th, 2009, Susan's friend and neighbor, Giovanna Owings, was working on a ball of yarn while Susan crocheted. And then Josh and the boys were there and he offered to make them all dinner and uh, Giovanna said that he called his father Steve for a pancake recipe. 
He didn't make a full stack all at once for everyone, though. He and the boys worked in the kitchen as he made the pancakes individually, serving everyone one by one. So he would make a plate of pancakes and then bring them to Giovanna. Then he made a plate of pancakes and gave them to Charlie. And he just would do that one by one instead of just making them all at once and then having everybody serve. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that's kind of sketchy that she pointed out. And so then they ate in the living room and Susan began not feeling well. So Josh, Josh Josh suggested Giovanna head home. He was going to take the boys sledding anyway, and he left with them in the van before Giovanna was even finished buckling up. Jesus Christ. Susan had went to lay down, and it was around 5 in the evening. The next day, December 7th, 2009, Debbie Caldwell awaited the children um, that she watched during the day. This included Brayden and Charlie, who didn't show up. At the same time that morning, Susan Powell is reported missing by a co-worker since she had not shown up either. Debbie called Jennifer Graves, and Jennifer went by the home, worried. She couldn't see inside, and it didn't seem like there were there was anybody there, so she called the police for a welfare check, fearing the family succumbed to carbon monoxide poisoning. When they arrived, she gave them permission to break a window to get inside. Inside, they found her purse with her belongings in it. They also saw that two fans were in the living room and had been turned on to dry sections of the carpet and possibly the couch. But they did note that there were no signs of disturbance in the home. Kiersey Hellwell was called and notified, and she was immediately scared and began calling around in case they knew something about Susan. As the hours passed, the group became more concerned about the family's whereabouts. Then Jennifer received a call from Josh. She asked him about everything, and he says that he has the boys, but Susan stayed home so he doesn't know where she is if she's not there. At this point, Josh drives south um, to a place called Point of the Mountain and leaves Susan this message. Hello, Susan. We are on our way back, and um, I can't believe that somehow my brain missed the day. I thought today was Sunday. That was really, really stupid. All right, I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. That's all. Ew, that reminded me of the... Hey, beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And the fucking Scott. It was Scott. Scott. Yes. And (laughs) yes, exactly. So he thought it was Sunday. I mean, he thought it was Saturday whenever they left. Right. That's his reasoning for not, for their Monday routine, not going according to plan. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I believe he told his sister that too, whenever she called him that, oh, he was like, oh, my mistake or whatever. But he made sure to call Susan and tell her that same reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to kind of take time to discuss for the remaining like few minutes what you think and how how everything just started. I don't know. It's just a weird thing because she was really planning on leaving and then all of a sudden there's all this stuff. I think he... She was planning on leaving, but at the same time, if she thought she was pregnant, she would have stopped trying to leave, don't you think? Based yeah. on all of her like previous decisions, mm-hmm. I think she would have stopped trying to leave if she thought she was pregnant. That's a good point, and because I, I forgot to mention that, after they did the trust thing and everything, and she's... Really, and she hears him say, "Let's try" or whatever. She considered getting rid of all of that stuff in her desk. Oh my god, she really did. She mentioned it in her journal. She's like, "I'm gonna have like any use for any of that stuff now." So it's funny that you brought that up because I completely that I completely forgot to mention that. But yeah, she was considering taking all of that stuff out of there, and and she had started kind of undoing what she told people by telling them Josh was doing this, they were doing that. And she was excited to have a baby girl, but they were not buying it. But, okay, so, okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. She decides that she wants to begin the process of leaving him. And he finds out, and he, being the fucking psycho that he is, comes up with this plan, like, I'm going to make her trust me, and I'm going to poison Mm -hmm. her. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to get rid of her. Right. And who's to say he didn't specifically get something to to give her those symptoms so that mm-hmm. it further confirms what she wants, which is that she's pregnant. Right. You know? 
And also it slows her down. Like she's not going to be able to go to work anymore if she's, you know, feeling sick and stuff. So Mm -hmm. it could have solved a lot of his problems that he had with her lifestyle. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, um, I think that's a good point. You're absolutely right. And so once she stops talking to him about divorce and he has her in his grasp, then I don't know if it all came to a head the night she went missing. Like maybe he was like, you know what? I don't want a baby anyway or something like that. But it's just weird because he leaves before Giovanna does. So does he come back? You know what I mean? If that's the night that she went. Yeah. He Mm -hmm. has to come back. I wonder, though, if he left so that he left while she while the friend was still there so that he could have a witness that he wasn't here. Yes. And he could have so called his brother to go back to the house. Oh, yeah. The brother. And so, if she wasn't feeling well, she might have been knocked the fuck out, you know? Yeah. I'm Jesus. thinking that is it. And then he killed her where he dumped mm-hmm. her. I my theory is once they got wherever they were going is when he did it because if not the boys would have seen oh, they did that. mention yeah oh yeah we're gonna get into that I, I guess I'll go ahead and bring it up but at one point one of the sons mentions how mommy was in the trunk mm-hmm. so if she was unconscious but not dead because then if, obviously they're gonna be alarmed if their mom is hurt or whatever right. or maybe they couldn't tell if she's dead. She just looks like she's sleeping because right. she died of internal damage and not like a blunt force trauma or something like that yeah. where there's blood and something traumatizing where the boys are obviously like something's going on, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really think he wasn't the only one to facilitate all of this. And it's coming to light that there's a lot that there's a lot we didn't know, even whenever they were investigating. So. That's why the entire investigation is going to be next time. And then the finale is going to be when we find out stuff after everyone's gone. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell everybody now, Brayden, Charlie, Josh all have passed on. And so has his father and his brother. And if that's not fucking suspicious, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. I mean, his father died of a little bit more of an explainable cause. But there's no one to ask anymore. Things just have to come to the surface one way or another. All of the files that would have had something of interest on Josh's computer, Josh encrypted. So he knew what he was doing. He's trying to not let them find anything. And to this day, they have not even found Susan Powell's body. So I'm not giving him credit for being like a mastermind, but he put in so much thought to make it impossible for this case to be solved. And it's just a horrible ending for everyone who loved Susan because, I mean... They can't really mourn her, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just so unbelievable. And I I wish more people knew about this whole thing because of all of the details that just add up to this kind of domestic situation that could end this way for anyone. It could yeah. literally have been anybody. And, um, and people like that will fit the mold. And so when she questioned even if he was ever a Mormon, it's like, You know what? I don't think he was. I think the Mormon community made him feel included because he was an outsider. He was annoying and he didn't have very much social interaction. So he was awkward. And whenever he met people in the Mormon community, he was like, this is not so bad. So even though his dad had been shit talking them the whole time he was younger Mm -hmm. in college, he rejoined that community just so that he could be praised for something like that one kid who um, told him he loved him. Did I mention that? Do you remember? I don't remember. They volunteered for something and it was like a a low income something or, or another or an orphan of some kind. And this young boy came up to Josh and gave him a kiss on the cheek and told him he loved him. And Josh got so much satisfaction from that. And he loved being adored by others. So that was really the reasoning behind him doing that. And then, of course, when he met Susan, he was like, oh, these women are, are devout, devout Mormons who put everything into their husbands. And so that's exactly what he expected from her. And that's exactly what she expected from herself. Mm -mm, mm -mm. (sighs) It's just, I just can't, you know, he reminds me of one of my friend's husbands, not like, like to the T, but Mm -hmm. just the things that I'm habits. And I couldn't figure out who he reminded me of until just now. That's so weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's weird. My, 
I'm sure you don't want to say, but. No, you don't know who she is anyways, (laughs) but still. Okay. But yeah, it's strange. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to knowing someone who has a lot of these similar qualities or grew up with qualities like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's creepy. It is. That's for sure. Um, So yeah, he definitely bragged about being able to hide a body a year before the events and the life insurance situation is sketchy. He really avoided talking to the cops also as soon as he got back. It took them hours to get back home as Jennifer Graves waited for him at their home. She did not leave. She was determined to know where Susan was. Mm-hmm. It's almost like everyone immediately knew like, oh, he d- he's not with Susan. What did he do with her? Yeah. And um, he cleaned a lot. There's just a lot of things that we're going to talk about next time that he it's just weird it's just very weird and the fact i know that they have regrets to this day that they didn't hold him but they wanted to know where she was and so they thought that it was more likely to find out where she was if they just let him keep roaming free rather than arrest him and question him because he was doing a great job at avoiding answering anything clearly he was very vague he was very strategic in how he said what he said to avoid giving too much away and yeah, so Mm-mm. Mm-mm. super sad. Yep. And then, of course, they go they go through her Facebook messages. Her friends immediately know to send the cops uh, to her desk and find all that stuff. I feel like that would have been enough. You know, like they should have just arrested him whenever it was her word. Like you should have just believed her word. Like if something happened to me, it was Josh. Right. End of story. Arrest him. Yeah. You know, um, because that prevent would have prevented her sons from going through everything they went through. And it's just a lot. They were both very young and they don't know where their mom is. The custody battle that in- ensues between her parents and he and his father pretty much form a partnership to oh badmouth. Yeah, they badmouth mm-hmm. Susan. They badmouth the whole family and even accuse her father of sexually molesting her and claiming that her journals said because they'd read them. And then that's when they find out everything that has to do with Steve. Because mm-hmm. when he let it slip that he'd read her journals, they were like, oh, where are the journals? And so the police go search his house mm-hmm. and they find everything. Mm-hmm. They find out that he had been collecting so much on Susan. And so I feel like that's when they take him in instead of Josh. So I'll talk about that next time. But I, I liked to I liked bringing up the thing from the jump about Steve because I just wanted to get that out of the way. It's just disgusting. But he gets taken in actually because of his voyeuristic adventures that he goes on. Oh, with the where. Uh, there's these neighbor girls who are, I believe, eight and ten or something like that. Very young. He's taking videos of them, taking a bath, like through their window. Like he can see from his home, I think, a lot of the inside of their house. So he just has videos and videos of these two little girls. And so that's when the police uh, arrest him because mm-hmm. he has that and he gets in trouble for that. And I feel like we were talking about arousal and like weird things between Josh and his dad last time and um oh we talked about how if if Josh was asexual or if he was just weird about not having control over his body and over his mind whenever he was becoming intimate with somebody Mm -hmm. and we brought up how Steve on the other hand was a very sexual guy and did not was not afraid to show it but his his thrill, I think, was making others uncomfortable and also them not knowing that he was watching them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because he didn't really need to, like, touch her or do anything too physical with her in order to get his thrill. Right. But I'm sure he was working up to it. And that's why his arrest was very important because it's it was only a matter of time before he kept crossing the line. Because I think it builds up, like, a tolerance for those kinds of people. Mm-hmm. where they have to do more and more in order to get the same amount of satisfaction. And that's when serial killers are born and you see their crimes get messier and messier because it takes mm-hmm. them more to get off on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Just sickening, just very sickening. Yeah. Mm. And just uh, everyone's frustration is going to be the same towards both the police department and the fucking 911 
oh my dispatchers. God. I forgot all Jesus. about that shit. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to decide if I want to even play it on here because oh. it's very easy to find, but it will piss a lot of people off all over it again. It pisses me off. Like, it gives me so much anxiety. <sighs> that poor woman, um, the caseworker who was supposed to supervise yes, the dude. boys. She lives to this day in tears. Every time they interview her about this, she just loses it and is like, those boys were right there. They were within my reach. If I would have just pushed right through and said no. Yeah. I mean, it's their father. She And he's a fucking scary-ass guy. And apparently he smirked as he was closing the door. Oh, yeah, I remember. So that. he... Fucking, God, oh. is such a psychopath. Mm. Well. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Ugh. Oh, you're fine. I had coffee, or else I, I had would some be doing the same. <laughs> that sounds delicious. Um, someone was like serving hot chocolate on TV or something, and I was like, "That looks really that good." That does sound really fucking good. I haven't had chocolate milk in a really long time, so I was like, mm-hmm. "Sometimes it just hits." It does. It really oh. does. Ugh, I can't wait. I. This is the this is the most fascinating fascinating part of the whole thing, but it's also just the most dark and depressing i agree Um, so at this point susan is missing and it's been a whole entire day and it's monday december 7th and nobody knows where she is and next time we're gonna pick up on what the police have to say what josh has to say which is not very much but mostly what the boys have to say Mm -hmm. and what family and friends have to say about that so we're gonna pick up next time with part four of the susan palcox case um, we would love to hear what you guys have to say on our Instagram at Gimme the Creeps, G I M M E the Creeps on Instagram or on Twitter. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you like what you hear. And make sure you let your family and friends know that we are on all podcasting platforms. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. I do want to say thank you to those that have left us a review on Apple Podcasts. That was very nice. Absolutely, yes. We appreciate it. Only two, but that's okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It still means something. We still read them. It does. And also, if you have any listener stories you'd like to submit, we're still taking those anytime, all the time. So if you Mm -hmm. have any creepy stories you want to share with us, we would love to hear them. And thanks for listening, guys. So did we give you the creeps? Mm 